Oh, Colin. Oh, Spike Pit. Like the mighty kings of old, you have wrestled with the dark visions presented before you in the Palantir. And you have mastered those dark forces, turning them to your will, not submitting to the will of the Dark Lord out there in the lands of shadow. You have wrought light where there was only darkness, brought understanding where before there was only chaos. You are the transition to the new age. Hey, Colin, it's Kevin calling you from the Red Caps podcast. I'm enjoying all these re-released episodes and was wondering if you've done or if you put any thought at any point in time into maybe doing an anthology or greatest hits or uh, whatever you would like to call it of of your favorite episodes from the 400 plus amazing catalog that you have um, in terms of like, you know, you could either re-release them as, as a one long episode of several episodes put together or just as a, a single episode where you're like, hey, I really enjoyed episode 310, five, uh, 52 and what have you. And, and just point people towards those episodes of ones that you think um, really stand out to you or are memorable to you for whatever reason. Um, I think that'd be an interesting uh, view into the large catalog you have. Anyhow, just an idea. Um, keep up the great work. I'll keep listening. Take care. I just found your podcast today. Thanks to checking out entries for RPG A Day 2021. It's always great for me to hear new voices or read new words or, or whatever uh, in response to the prompts that... Uh, Dave and I have selected. Very sorry to hear that uh, last year was a trauma, but uh, obviously you're in fine form because this episode was a lot of fun to listen to and certainly evoked a lot of familiar feelings about pouring over those precious, precious early products. Anyway, thanks again and enjoy the rest of the month if you can. Talking about Dungeon Magazine brings back loads of nostalgia for me. I have a three boxes worth of old dungeons, and I've looked through them, and some are more beat up than others. The ones I bought more recently to fill in the collection are in better shape, oddly, but I use the crap out of them. I There are some, especially in AD&D first edition, and then surprisingly, not so much for second, um, but instead for... Um, for 3.5 or 3 3.5 uh there are some that are very cool and memorable and i know off the top of my head the most memorable adventure was in 3.5 um and this was tears for twilight hollow because it was a, such a focal point and a turning point in our uh D 3 campaign um there's some earlier ones that i cannot think of right now but uh oh the one that comes to mind also that comes to mind also, the one that comes to mind, actually I've never played is Empire of the Ghouls, which is in an older AD&D dungeon, and it was very reminiscent of the uh, D1 and 2, Descent into the Depths, um, and Vault of the Shrine of the Kuatoa, and of course Vault of the Drow in D3, and Night Below campaign, actually. It was a really neat two-parter, I think, that was in, in the older dungeon magazines, and was... Wolfgang Bauer's 
introduction of the intelligent ghouls, a la Call of Cthulhu ghouls, that had an empire. And he's brought that into Midgard now, uh, which is a pretty neat concept, I think. So, uh, the ones that I played in the old first edition, it's been so long, and I, they were always incorporated into our main campaign. So, oh well. So I think, you know, when TSR had it, and then, um, I guess, Wizards got hold of it. I think Paizo had it for there towards the end until Wizards took it back with the beginning of 4th edition. But Paizo, even towards the end, had some great adventure paths. The Shackled City, um, the Savage Tide, the Age of Worms, which were all really cool serial type of products they had stuff in there for eberron way back in second edition they had little adventures for oriental adventures and for um al-kadim so it was pretty cool like what they gave and it was a supplement to all the because you know this came out bi-monthly and we'd have to wait years for new actual official products so the dungeons were a great supplement to continue your campaign when you didn't have a lot of prep time Hey, Colin Jason here. I often hear about the method of having you know players create their characters, their backgrounds, and then trying to tie those into the world. And and I'm not poo-pooing that, but your idea there of doing kind of the the around the table and getting all the different flavor in there for every player sounds like a, a really great way to build a world. So it's not just the GM's vision of the world, but there's something in there from everybody which helps keeps everybody engaged. So. Great episode. The audio, by the way, is totally fine. I, mind you, um, <laughs> I do gorilla podcasting off just my phone all the time, so I may not be the best judge. But but honestly, I, I think the audio is perfectly fine. I, I wouldn't worry about it, man. Keep up the great work, and talk to you soon. Yo, Colin, dude, I hear you about how important flavor is and how it's, you know, it's kind of weird we don't talk about it that much because we each have our own personal flavor that we like. But, you know, it's good to try out other stuff, too. Anyway, yeah, I'm right there with you as well on the uh, Session Zero collaborative world building thing. And I was just thinking we could get rid of the whole concept of Session Zero and just make the collaborative world building and the expectation setting and all of that stuff just the first session. <laughs> you know, everyone gets together, you have fun, you game it out, and yeah, you do it. Because what I really want to do before the next campaign I run is what you were talking about. Something I've always wanted to do is use microscope to build the world and then uh, kingdoms to build the little kingdom. I've never done it. I've heard about it. I've always wanted to. So I'm going to peace out. Now I'm going to mention something. You may not want to play this message, and that's okay if you don't. I'm going to apologize for all the noise in the background. Um, anyhow, so you may not want to include this message, and that's okay if you don't. But I wonder if going back and tinkering with our old episodes, as I pass a police officer talking into my phone, which I shouldn't be doing. Um, I don't know if he's going to turn around or not. We'll see. But... If, if so, we'll have a live recording of me getting tickets. But, point being, as far as going back and tinkering with our old episodes, why are we obsessed with the past? Why can't we just forget it and move on? Is that because we're, we're worried about our legacy? 
the way Thomas Jefferson and George Washington very carefully crafted their memoirs and edited them so what they wrote could not, you know, would, would show them in a better light? I don't know. So I don't know. I So I know you're not just editing your old podcast because you're worried about your legacy. Well, maybe you are worried about your legacy, but it. I know you. it's not totally selfish in your desire because you're worried about new new listeners. And when somebody new comes to the podcast, you're, you're interested in presenting them something palatable and attractive. So I, I think there is a, you, you know, a, a customer service aspect to your wanting to edit and, and, and fine tune your older episodes. But I do wonder about this idea of, of changing the past and curating the past separate from your desire for new listeners to hear something good. Why do, why do we have that drive to, to fix the past and, and, and show ourselves in a better light, I wonder? I don't know. It's interesting. Anyhow, talk to you later. Hey, Colin. Carl here. Every time Arlen or someone mentions Beyond the Wall, I don't think of that Beyond the Wall product you talk about. I think of the Pendragon product Beyond the Wall, which talks about the land beyond Hadrian's Wall in the time of Arthur and the Pictland, I guess, or the land of the wild Picts and uh, King Lot and Lothian and all those machinations from up there in Mallory. So I don't know that product, but I think when I, when I think of wilderness, I think of forbidden lands and I have the products and they have this map and you're supposed to explore it and do the hex crawling, but I've never done it, so I don't know if you have any experience with that or know anyone, and it does definitely sound interesting, and I might give it a go one of these days. Hey Colin, the Pink Phantom here. I want to say I agree with you 100% about not referring to the knowledge that our distant ancestors had as uh, primitive technology. I mean, I guess we could use Stone Age technology for those really far back and they did some amazing things in stone both on the small scale with the with the small tools that they used as knives and specialized tools and also you know building monoliths i mean they built with stone and they built with stone to last so i think calling it primitive technology is just kind of giving them the old shove aside and even though stone age kind of has some of that connotation, I think it at least gives a better indication of what they were actually doing back then, just working with stone like the experts they were. Hi, Colin. Spencer here. I just wanted to say I've really been enjoying the recent output. Um, those episodes are coming thick and fast, <laughs> but it's all good stuff. Really enjoyed listening to you. So infused by how the teaching's going that has been fantastic to hear really uh really good stuff sorry to hear that you've got covid but it seems to me we're at a stage where we're the only the only way we're going to get past this is by us all coming into contact with it so you know there's that but uh yeah hope you get well soon mate and i'm just about to sit down and listen to your thoughts on nave which I'm very much looking forward to. Take care, mate. Speak soon. Bye. 
yo, Colin, dude, so I had to call because you're the only person I know other than me that's read Moonwalking with Einstein. And that got me super pumped up. I loved that book. I just found it fascinating, man. All that stuff with memory is just, it's so cool. The brain is just such an interesting organ that we don't know that much about and we're learning more every day i just watched this video on the 60 symbols youtube channel which is a fantastic channel it's a bunch of uk dudes talking about science and stuff from like the university of nottingham and uh the host was at a new facility showing off this new machine that they have to image brains and it was just so cool it used these magnets and electromagnetism it was really cool also freakonomics is a fun book uh yeah i'm glad to hear you're doing well man get well soon peace out hey colin jason here great overview of the tomb of the serpent king i'm not sure if this is a recycled episode i don't think it is um i ran it using icrpg i converted to icrpg maybe five years ago i don't know it was 2017 maybe it was maybe a year before i joined the audio dungeon but yeah it's a great dungeon a great learning thing and everybody should check it out because there's lessons to be learned there and like you i love design notes so talk to you later Hey, Spike, Lonely Adventurer here. Long time, new no call in. Heck, long time, no podcast from me either. It's been a, uh, an eventful year on my side, and I just haven't had uh, the time or the energy for it. But uh, nothing bad, all good. Just uh, life's taking me in a different direction for a little while. But I'm still gaming, and I'm still designing, and still really uh, kind of quietly lurking on the Anchor podcast, enjoying listening to all of them. I'm super excited that you ran Tomb of the Serpent Kings. This was actually the first osr dungeon that i ran about ooh, two years ago now maybe even three and yeah i had a really good time with it uh, I'm, I'm kind of eager to find another group who wants to play through it again uh i think i would do a better job this time but it was like i said my introduction to uh, osr and the first time i played uh basic dnd uh, i'm running out of time so this will be message number one uh, you're definitely right about that uh, that particular trap that uh, is a bit on the deadly side early on in the dungeon. Uh, I had used it to, uh, I'd use a, an opening scenario where my players were uh, hunting goblins down uh, and found the tomb by accident and one of the goblins got away and it triggered the trap before they could catch it. And though they didn't see what happened, they saw the results of what happened and the trap had been Reset. So I, I think, and I've, I've heard other uh, advice to like kind of like really foreshadow that one in some way or another to uh, avoid a fatality there. Um, but yeah, just a great, great dungeon. We uh, I don't like snakes, so I swapped out a lot of stuff, and uh, I think we use regular goblins, and I added a whole dungeon to side dungeon onto it to really expand on them. But uh, really enjoyed. It. I'm running out of time again. Anyway, really enjoyed the episode. Uh, glad you enjoyed Tomb of the Serpent Kings, and uh, hopefully we'll talk online soon. Have a great one. Hello, Colin. Just safer here. I just want to say what a great podcast uh, your 453 Into the Pit was. Absolutely chock a block, mate. Fantastic. Loved it. Uh, like an encyclopedic diary journal episode, and yet none of it rambling. Just full of good stuff. I just so so much to comment on, I haven't got much time. So yeah, I love your um Curse of Strahd campaign, mate. I love the dynamic between you and your family, the energy, the familiarity, the level of comfort in there. It just creates a great vibe and atmosphere. I love it. Real role playing mate. Yeah, Heart of Darkness, I never got through it, mate. Really stodgy stuff. Couldn't get to the end. And yeah, 
Per, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Yeah, man, I feel you about being in a rut, man. I'm, yeah, you've, en- you've, en- you've encouraged me, mate. You know, I'm going to do, do something. Just one thing, just one simple thing. I'm going to do it now. I don't know if it's going to be sculpting or drawing or writing. Where's my pencil? I'm going to do it now. Cheers, Colin. Hey, Colin, this is Menion, also known as Rob here. So thank you so much for the, uh, you know, mention. And um, I just wanted to say that I've recently been really enjoying your your discussions about the the teaching and it's really helped me <laughs> in some ways. So uh, it's good to see other people um, doing well and uh, trying something new and it's quite heartening. So I just wanted to mention that um, I did even look <laughs> up about teacher training in the UK, <laughs> but that's not something really I would ever be able to do now. But um, it just sounds fantastic. But I'm really... More than that, I think it's it's great that you've you're doing something new, and, and it's obviously something that's uh, exciting, exciting you and, and uh, challenging you. So, wow, that's just uh, brilliant. All right. Anyway, um, keep it up and take care now. Oh, in other news, it sounds like you've got a bit of a career change, eh? Cutting over to teaching—that's what it sounds like to me. Good on you, man. That's uh, it's always been a dream of mine, but I haven't actually tried to do pull the plug on the corporate world and cut over to the academic maybe one day maybe not (laughs) i don't know um so yeah man good on you yo dude so i heard your message on uh friggin bj's latest episode (laughs) that's his name the arcane alienist talking about the labyrinth he ran and it got me thinking about there's a blog that i actually got this really cool idea for how to run mazes off of that i used when i ran wheeler woe it's a graphite prince and it's called like a memory maze or something and it's all based i don't know it's cool man i will i'll send you the link on discord but i thought i'd send you this message because i know you don't check discord very often so i'm going to shoot you a link on discord and check it out and see if that might be something that tickles your fancy it's pretty cool man uh yeah i'm gonna do that now bye was i summoned i heard my name and slides um yeah i uh, again i'm gonna i'm gonna push for this being a good way to convey information there is a reason that the business community loves powerpoint um it, it is an easy way for you to organize information. It's um, note cards that you can share with your audience. So there's many great uses in RPGs. I like the idea of chopping up little bits of dungeon and putting it on there. Um, some of the better laid out dungeons have a zoomed in picture of what's on that page. And you could even move those in there and say, you're in this area of the dungeon, what are you guys doing? Love the idea for popping it up for monsters. Um, I haven't been using it lately. I've been on Foundry because my game went online. And I'm using that in a similar sort of way to pop up pictures and stuff. But my next campaign, I'm trying to uh, figure out a way where I can make an interactive map that everybody can click on because we're not going to be using it for combat as much because we're not playing 5e. Hey, Spike Pit, me again. Plant monsters, dude, perfect timing. I recently learned about two of the world's largest organisms that both happen to be plants. So the world's largest organism by weight, it's known as Pandu, and it's this collection of, I believe, aspen trees in Northern California, I think. It's all a single organism, but it's a whole forest 
of aspen trees and other stuff, but it's one single organism they figured out through science. I don't know the math or the science behind it. The other one, the largest organism by area, I guess, is this seagrass found off the coast of Australia that they've recently discovered. It clones itself. It's this one huge organism of seagrass that's just massive. And it, it, these are just crazy organisms, right? And it flowers and it fruits and it's a seagrass and it's crazy. Anyway, man, plant monsters rule. Peace out. Hi, Colin. I've uh, left the kitchen, living room, dining room uh, to leave you some messages because my son, who's just about to go off and get essentially his GCSE results today, um, is has just started tucking into his breakfast. Um, and that sometimes, especially when he's got his headphones on, which he has, does sound a bit like a construction site. So it's better, you know, it's best for everyone if, uh, if I leave the room. Um, oh yes, yeah, there are a few reasons to ring, to call, to leave a message, what I'm doing now. Um, First one is the school groups, basically. A couple of little thoughts on school groups. Hi, Colin. Hope you're doing well. Goblin Henchman here. So um, you're asking about games for kids. I mean, I, I don't know, actually, but my instincts tell me that you want to go 5e. I think that brand name appeal will bring in, bring in the punters, as it were. And then, you know, maybe after that, maybe segue to something else. I mean, it sounds like your issue with 5e is that you're, you've had enough of it, <laughs> and fair enough. Um, but, you know, if, I reckon if you posters around school saying D&D Club, you know, you'll get takers. If you put posters up saying RPG Club or Beyond the Wall or something else, you might not get a broad appeal. But maybe you don't want too big a group, so maybe that's the thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost sure that um, Che did something similar, put D&D &D up, and he got, got people coming in, whereas before he didn't. I may, I may be misremembering that. But anyway, that's my uh, that's my sh shillings worth, as it were. Hey, Colin. It's Kevin calling in from the Red Caps podcast. Just wanted to say I really, really enjoyed hearing you talking about uh, your mentor teacher, uh, Miss M. I thought that was incredibly awesome to hear, and I really hope you share that with her. Uh, like, send her that episode. I'm sure it would make her day, week, um, etc. Um, and I also wish you the very best of luck in your upcoming um, adventures in uh, being the, the, the man, the myth, the legend in the classroom and uh, going from there. So, uh, again, just wanted to comment on how inspiring and, and really awesome it was to hear how you described your interactions with her and the impact she had on your life. And uh, here's hoping that you have similar impacts on the kids that you'll be teaching. Take care. Hey, Colin. It's your old Budsky Joe from across the pond. Hey, uh, I was just listening to the, you know, your most recent episodes and, you know, I never stopped listening. Um, but, you know, it occurred to me that I haven't really called in for quite a long time. Too long, in fact. So I'm calling and just saying that you are you know, maintain it, dude. You're doing a great job. I'm still listening. I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, yeah. So I think your, your game club sounds amazing. I really hope it, it takes off. Uh, but I also feel your, uh, your kind of pain, man, because I think it's kind of like an eighties thing, like growing up 
uh, back then it was kind of a stigma, right? If you play D and D or whatever, and I don't really tell people that I play D and D, like very rarely. Um, maybe I guess after I get to know them, but yeah, I mean it's kind of weird and it's kind of you know like a silly psychological thing, I guess. But I don't know. Uh, anyway, I'm running out of time. Cheers, buddy. And finally, Spelljammer, man. Um, I would love to play Spelljammer with you, Colin, and introduce you to it. Um, Spelljammer is, um, I think that the original idea behind Spelljammer was for it to emulate, let D&D emulate the sort of fantasy you would expect from Jules Verne. You know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, First Man on the Moon. Did, did Verne write that, or was that? Anyway, but you get what I'm talking about. There's the, the if you look at the old artwork from the original Spelljammer, there was a lot of you know polished wood and brass fixings, and, and it just had it had a very uh, you know that sort of um, not even pulp fantasy, the pre-pulp things, the classic science fiction uh, work, and, and it almost has um, you know today that, that a lot of that kind of imagery would be used in steampunk, but it wasn't used as steampunk. It was still D and D. It was all based on arcane magic. And they created a, a, a version of space for Dungeons and Dragons. It would much more um, how sort of some more older ideas about the construction of the universe with crystal spheres floating in the phlogiston and then much more of a Ptolemaic uh, view of, of cosmology. Uh, and then you add in these sort of um, weirdly fantastical, you know, ships that are there probably much more look at least and have the feel of a much more of a 19th century type of fantasy or science fiction uh, and of course you're using the D&D rule set and D&D races and monsters and creatures to uh, to run it so that's what I like about it at this point it's almost like a retro futurism vibe maybe um, with with a sort of an, uh, a non-scientific uh, view of space and the cosmos and, and how you would explore it or an alternative how you'd use it using D&D style magic as far as I can tell from looking at the preview material, and, and they've, they've got um, uh, Legends of the Multiverse, which is a, a live play that they've been doing on, on YouTube to kind of gear up for it. The major change I've seen they've made is that um, they, they've sort of planted it in the classic D&D sort of view of the cosmos. So instead of there being this phlogiston, which doesn't appear, that you, you can sail in um, when you get out of a, a planetary or a, a solar system, which used to be a crystal sphere. Um, now it's just those systems, those worlds of D&D kind of exist to have space around them called wild space. That's just wild, just um, empty space. But once you cross it, you don't have to penetrate a crystal sphere and get into this phlogiston substance. You're just, if you go out far enough in space, eventually you hit the astral plane, the astral sea, and then you're, you're sailing on the astral sea. Hey, Spike Pit, this is kind of a call to, towards BJ's uh, lauding over Spelljammer. I do like Spelljammer, don't get me wrong. I've had a lot of fun with it. I had a lot of fun with it back when it came out in 89.90. But definitely it is a uh, it is derivative of some of a product, although they did add, of course, fantasy monsters and and the cosmology that more fits the, uh, the TSR D&D world, right? But... Space 1889 came out a year earlier by GDW and it was totally, you know, phlogiston-based ships and the like. So, but uh, Spelljammer tweaked it for a fantasy setting. And I don't, I, 
I don't really see that Space 1889 was super popular, but there's definitely, you know, floating ships and it came out a year earlier. So, um, and there's probably some crosstalk and crossover between designers of, with, from GDW and TSR anyway, right? The cool thing about Space 1889 is there is a more recent rule set than the GW TAS system developed back in 1988, and they've redone it for Ubiquity System, which would please Anthony, and he's probably played it, and uh, Jason Connerly, who has been on a Ubiquity quick kick, or was about a month ago, and now is all about the Westerns and Aces and Eights and the like. So um, so yeah, it uses Ubiquity System now, which would be kind of neat to do. I think I, I think I got everything on like some sort of bundle of holding or humble bundle or whatever. So um, pretty neat. Uh, it was that that game and Cadillacs and dinosaurs way back that kind of were neat. Uh, an appeal to me, games that I always liked but never picked up because well we were playing Twilight 2000 or Merc 2000. So hey, Colin, it's Anthony calling from Asia, but really calling from the car. It seems like the only place I exist now is in the car. Um, calling in with thoughts about the, the high-rise aspect to, to cyberpunk and, and whatnot, and, and I think it's really interesting and compelling. A few years ago, we were experimenting with Powered by the Apocalypse, you know, to see if it was a good mesh for how we play, and we picked a game called The Veil, which was, like I think, the second cyberpunk game for, for PBTA stuff. And as we developed the setting kind of collaboratively, I noticed that that this aspect, this high-rise aspect, that the, the, the layers of poverty uh, gradually thin and then become an ever more rarefied layer of wealth stacked on top. And I was kind of curious where exactly this had come from. You know, it was a, it was a group that hadn't played together before really we hadn't done any cyberpunk before really and and we had a we had a a blank slate we could have done anything but this notion was one that came forward as as a, an underpinning structure and i found it really interesting where did it come from and i felt that part of it was inspired by where i live you know in korea there's very very little land that's available for housing and so housing is inevitably pushed up into the sky and of course the type of apartment you live in uh, is you know uh, a contributing factor to your social status and, and of course your comfort but where else had it come from and it occurred to me later during play that it came from it came from Harry Harrison's novel Make Room, Make Room, which in a sense was transformed into Soil and Green. And while not a precise low to high rise kind of environment, or not so dramatic as maybe the that Matt Damon film Elysium makes it with um, you know the, the very richest living and satellites in orbit and the very poorest left to inherit the Earth, that that distinction, that very clear, poor live here, rich live here, and it's almost like two separate societies stacked on top of each other. It's made abundantly clear in Make Room, Make Room, and it's kind of an unflinching bleakness, uh, of course, focusing in on the lower strata of society. But anyway, that's what you made me think of. Hey, Colin, this is Carl calling in. When I think of high-rises, I think of 
Warhammer 40k and the hives that exist in these you know, mega cities on these planets. And uh, what I loved in the 40k role playing game, mainly art, is how they showed them, you know, the cross sectional view and how massive they were, how they went underground and the different layers. Um, I guess it's also reminiscent and harkens to uh, Sharn, the city of towers in Eberron, which I love to play and all the stratification based on where you live, you know, the higher, the better, even there's even houses in the clouds as it were compared to the, the scum underneath and the underbelly. So, uh, yeah, pretty interesting places, these sort of, uh, towered cities to role play in. Hey, Colin, Jason here, enjoying this resurgence and regular podcasting from you. Two comments. Wow factor. So I don't know if you listen to or you have a chance to. They're kind of long episodes, but there's a podcast called Frankenstein's RPG where they design, they take bits, they argue about what are the best bits and bobs from different systems and are trying to put them together to make a universal, or not a universal, but make the best system. This season, they're doing sci-fi games. And one of the things they decided at the beginning they needed to have in sci-fi games was the wow factor. So I, I do think there's a lot to that wow factor. And having that wow factor, something that rocks players back and knocks them out of their socks, you know, is a big part of making that session memorable and enjoyable and, and really keeping people coming back to a game. So I think there's a lot to the wow factor. And as far as rule three, I need to leave another message. Hey, Colin, I just wanted to thank you for that last episode. Wonderful list of settings there. Lots of uh, childhood memories, uh, particularly Wind in the Willows. That was something I was obsessed with for a brief while as a kid. I, I um, yeah, yeah. I always thought of myself as a bit of a ratty. Absolutely loved that setting, that world. Um, where does Mr. Ben live? Firstly, I thought, oh, it's Acacia Avenue, isn't it? Turns out that's not true. That's some kind of a cliche placeholder name that I wasn't aware of for any kind of uh, suburban setting. Um, what, what was the answer? Oh, yeah, Festive Road, 52 Festive Road, to be exact, which is in Putney. News to me. Thanks, Google. Oof, oof, oof. Oh, Colin, that was a real deep cut combo, that mate. Jamie and the Magic Torch. Ivo the Engine and Mr. Ben. Oh, hey. I haven't thought about Jamie and the Magic Torch for over 40 years, mate. Wow, that was a real sock to tell me, that one. Really took me back. But, yeah. As a bit of a return, forehand smash over the net. Perhaps, have you heard of Mary, Mongo and Midge? Can you remember that one? I don't know, that one might be a bit before your time. But, uh, yeah, thanks for that, Colin. Mr Ben, you know, my one and only attempt at GMing over online was in a game with Barney and his League of Eternal Guardians game. And I started the game in a changing room in the in the league and I had the doors on the changing room a green colour as a, a homage to Mr Ben. Not the best idea, not the best place to start an adventure, mate. But take care, all the best. Yo, Colin, so I just want to call and thank you for a couple things. One, thank you for inspiring Safer to get up on the mic and send you a message. I love hearing from that dude. Whenever I hear him, I always get excited. So Safer, 
put out another episode, dude. No, just kidding. But it's always nice to hear from you, too. I also want to thank you for reminding me of Danger Mouse, man. I loved that show as a little kid. I haven't thought about it, it thought about it in a long time. And yeah, man, Danger Mouse was really, really cool. It was one of the few probably like British shows that were over here when I was a kid. So yeah, man, Danger Mouse kicked ass. And also to let you know, I hear you, dude. I don't really fit in with the 5e crowd. I don't really fit in with the OSR crowd. Hell, I don't really even fit in with the Pathfinder crowd, man. So, you know, yet here we are, right? Anyway, dude, you're awesome. Peace out. Hey, Colin, this is Jim Tripp. I, uh, Enjoyed the episode with a bunch of call-ins as much as your regular episodes. Uh, one of the callers that I really did like had asked a question about or threw forth some suggestions about having a rotating leader, which I really liked. Um, what I've been experimenting with different ways of getting players to be leaders is, um, yeah, rotating. I haven't tried that. Sounds great. The One of them that I've been using recently has been asking at the beginning of the session, like, who here knows about constellations? And then if somebody steps forward and says, oh yeah, my character has a background in that, that kind of indicates to me, the DM, that they want to kind of lead this this episode. So then I'll ask them, okay, there was a shooting star that passed through this constellation. What does that mean? And then that, again, just kind of a way at the beginning of the session to see, you know, get a gauge of who's interested in being a leader that week. And then I'll start to just kind of defer to them. And if nobody steps forward, I'll just have an NPC. Reference 488, I hope, Rayotis does hear that and calls in with his thoughts of rules light versus rules medium games for long-term play and whether a, one of the lighter games has the legs for a long-term campaign. I'm genuinely interested in his opinion. Hey there, it's Kevin calling in from the Red Caps. Hopefully you don't mind me playing along with RPG a day, or at least this one particular entry anyway with you rather than doing it on my podcast. But the answer for what is the perfect game for me, that's not a rule set. It's not uh, anything like that. A perfect game is a situation where everybody that you're playing with clicks with what's going on. Everybody has that shared imagination, uh, that shared memory that you walk away from the table at the end of that session and everybody has it in their head like it really happened to them. And when they're talking about it years later, they're like, do you remember when you did this? Not when your character did this, when you did this. And everybody's bought into that shared collective memory, and it feels like they were there doing the actions in the game. That's the perfect game. I hope everybody gets that feeling at least once. Anyhow, keep up the great work.